On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about teachers and their struggles to get technology to work, apparently doing home-based learning. Why is this happening? Why are we learning about this now? How are we not prepared to deal with this stuff? We're also going to be chatting about a new poll that's out that gives some really discouraging information about how many people know about the Holocaust. We've heard these polls before, but the numbers always seem to get worse. And these ones are so discouraging. How do people not know anything about this unbelievably important piece of human history so that we don't repeat it? And we're going to chat about something far lighter, musical conspiracy theories. Did you know that Katy Perry is really John Benet Ramsey all grown up? It's true. At least some say it is. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Read a story this morning in the spec about the trouble that many teachers apparently seem to be having with online education. The technology seems to be, in a lot of ways, the issue here. Uh, Difficulties with laptops, with iPads, with other things um, that are needed to teach kids who are learning at home. One teacher who was quoted in the piece said his laptop few years old can't support the technology for the remote learning programs. Another said that uh, she's had to be using her Android cell phone to communicate with parents. As for the school board, it was quoted saying that it's offered iPads to teachers whose equipment can't support the technology that's needed. But teachers say the devices are difficult make it difficult to orchestrate video conferences and go between presentations and other things. Uh, For the record, I asked the school board to come on today to talk about this. They declined the invitation. But Jeff Sorensen, who is the president of the Hamilton Local of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, has agreed to come on and join us today. Jeff, how are you tonight? I'm great. How are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate you coming and shedding some light on this. Because uh, when I read this story, I I am not someone right now who has kids in the system, but if I was, I would have to believe that I'd be a little bit frustrated right now. This doesn't sound good. Uh, no, uh, if, if you are a parent in the system right now, or if you are a student yourself, or if you're a teacher uh, trying to participate in remote learning, I think you would find it an extremely frustrating time. Uh, the board's technology the technology required to do remote learning uh, is so far not up to the task. Uh, and I would be surprised if much learning has happened so far. Why is this happening? I mean, is it is it simply a technology issue? Um, yeah, and I think it can be traced back, first of all, to the board. And, and I just want to start off by saying, you know, the board's been put into a horrible position here by the ministry. And I, I, I think that's only fair to say. But our board has a a history of overestimating, I think, the capability of technology. Ask any teacher about report card software. Uh, We know that a few weeks ago, uh, the parent portal, which is where parents talked about whether or not they wanted their children in remote learning or not, uh, these these were all technical disasters. And that's also happening now uh, with, you know, almost 9,000 children opting for remote learning. Uh, getting those platforms up and running with classes, uh, with students added, with teachers added, uh, it's just something that is overwhelming. Uh, I know they were hoping to get it ready for last week. Uh, We're still waiting for some things to happen this week. 
Um, and when, when those aren't happening, it's very hard to teach, if not impossible. I think, Jeff, an awful lot of people listening are going to be puzzled by this because, I mean, technology, look, I think we understand the, the limits and the challenges of technology. We've all had our computers freeze. We've all had programs that don't work. We've all had yeah. stuff happen. But we've got doctor's offices that can arrange for visits online. We've got most offices that are arranging to handle their business on various technological platforms. A lot of people, I'm sure, are shaking their heads saying, how is it that the education system just can't seem to figure this out? Uh, good questions. Uh, my theory is that, you know, for years, and I'm not saying this is incorrect, but for years, you know, education in Ontario has been face-to-face. -face. It's assumption that you need bricks and mortar. You need students and teachers in the same physical location, and that's where really great teaching and really great learning happens. You know, whether it's the hub, which is the board's uh, computer platform, or Microsoft Teams, which is another one that they're using, um, these were, uh, I think, originally thought of as add-ons, uh, things that you could do in your classroom uh, in addition to what you would normally do on a given school day. Uh, now they're asked to, to completely hold up education in Hamilton-Wentworth for a good portion, a good percentage of our students, you know, almost 20%, I think the number is now. Um, and I just don't think our board, many boards, have been able to scale up what we are asking the technology to do. Is it any better right now than it was back in March or April when we had to launch into this? Uh, in some ways, it's worse. And the reason is, is because when we, we started in March, teachers were given a lot more freedom as to what software they used. Uh, there were quite a lot of platforms, Google uh, and, and other pieces of software. We've been told now by the, our employer that we have to use one of two. So we're, we're putting a lot of our eggs into one basket. Um, Let me and, and we don't have a lot of tech. I mean, teachers aren't provided, uh, you know, it's not like we come to school and it's here's a laptop, here's a desktop. Uh, and as you said yourself, the tablets that we do have access to, they're just not up to the job of what parents and our employer want us to do. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jeff, as we've been talking and you've expressed some of the issues that are there and look, I, I am not going to be letting the board or the province off the hook or saying that they don't bear responsibility for this. But listening to some of the quotes from the teachers, they're also expressing their surprise, it sounds like, at these problems. And I'm wondering, should the teachers really be just discovering now that they've got these issues? Because uh, they've had months. I mean, they had the whole summer. Should this not have been worked out and tested and gone over in the summer so that when we got to September, we didn't have these surprises? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. The difficulty is, though, is that most teachers didn't know what they were teaching until just a few weeks ago, uh, some even less than that. Uh, so teachers didn't know if they were going to be teaching remotely. Uh, so, you know, when you have your job assignment changed in the last minute, you're told that you're teaching a grade, uh, you don't know which students you're teaching, you don't know uh, what needs they have or what special needs they have, and then you're told, uh, take this piece of technology get it up and running, get your classes, be prepared to teach. Um, that, that's not uh, something that's doable. Uh, and, and we did have, and when I say we, I mean the education sector, the Ministry of Education, public boards, Catholic boards, 
Um, we did have months to think about re-entry. Uh, I don't know why it started so late. Um, I don't know why uh, this came as a surprise. I, I, I've heard uh, on another show uh, our associate director say that they they knew that they um, that we were going to be experiencing uh, numbers like this in terms of numbers of people wanting remote learning. Um, and I'm as puzzled as you as, as you are as why we're not more prepared than we are. I know we have teachers uh, at seven o'clock at night calling their supervisors. Uh, asking for advice, asking for assistance, uh, trying to problem solve. Uh, it is something that's last minute and it shouldn't have been. I, I suggested to the board, and, and I know others have as well, um, to do what other boards have done, which is make sure you get it right the first time. And the way you do that is you ask parents to be patient and you ask them to wait a few extra days. Other boards have done it. Uh, I'm not sure why our board has decided to forge ahead when it, it's clearly not ready to, to run remote schools containing 8,000 or 9,000 students. And again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing teachers and I'm not oh, letting no. the board or the, or the uh, government and saying they're somehow innocent in this. But to me, it would seem like if I'm a teacher knowing what could be happening, part of my prep that I would do in the summer along with my courses this year would be saying, there's a chance I'm going to teach from home. I better figure out in case they tell me to, if I can do this so I'm ready. That, and that seems to be something that maybe it happened, but it doesn't seem to have. No. And I, I do want to say, I mean, <laughs> teachers like everybody else in society were waiting uh, to find out what exactly school re-entry or startup would look like. Um, and we didn't know if uh, teaching remotely was going to be something that we were offered, or something that we were forced, uh, something that was due to a medical accommodation. Uh, so we, we didn't know uh, who if any, would be teaching remotely. Um, so we got our assignments back in the spring, uh, and that's what we spend our summer getting ready. So you might have found out that you were teaching grade two at a given school in April. You spend the next three or four months getting ready. And like I said, it was it was you know late in August when we started to hear uh, the assignment that you thought you had and the assignment that you were preparing for might not, in fact, be the one that you, you actually are, are sitting doing right now. So how does this get resolved then? Because we're now in the middle of it. We can't really very easily pull the plug and say, okay, everything's going to now stop for two or three weeks while all teachers go and either buy new laptops or get their programs updated or something. So how do we do this? Well, I, I think there has to be a very fast uh, reaction by the board and the ministry, because I know it's not just Hamilton Wentworth. Uh, there has to be sufficient funds. Uh, you know, one of the issues we still have, and which started last spring during school closures, was the inequity of access to technology. We know a lot of our students uh, don't have the technology at home. They're calling up uh, teachers and saying, you know, I, I can't get online. Uh, I don't know how to get online. Uh, we don't have Internet at home. We don't have Wi-Fi. Uh, so, and, and again, you know, we, we don't have laptops. We're not uh, supposed to use personal technology. I don't know if that's something that's widely known, is that uh, our employer, uh, as a policy, discourages, prohibits us using personal technology. We're not supposed to use personal cell phones, personal devices, uh, because of matters of confidentiality and privacy. 
So we're kind of between a rock and a hard place. We we can't go out to Staples, buy a laptop, and use it. Uh, we need the boards, um, but the board isn't providing it. Uh, so, you know, we'd love to have that technology available to us. We would have loved to have that technology available to us throughout the summer so that we could be up ready to go. Uh, we, we'd like classes to be set up in this technology so we could teach, um, but it just hasn't happened. Jeff Sorensen, local chapter president of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. Thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's, uh, I mean, look, again, if you're a parent, I, I can understand your frustration if your kid is at home and you're trying to go through this because, um, you know, the, 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 whether it's the government, whether it's the board, again, whether it's, I, I'm, I'm still a little surprised that we're just finding out now that this doesn't work. It seems to me this is the kind of thing that should have been sorted out from all parties weeks ago. Test runs and stuff should have been done, but it hasn't. Is that what most organizations would not do is test runs? And that, again, that fault falls with everybody, I would think, where it's... There shouldn't be a surprise when you're up and running for real that it's not working. This stuff should be known ahead of time. But here we are. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me ask you a question that probably will insult you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Do you know what the Holocaust is? Have you ever heard of the Holocaust? And I know I say I'm sure that's an insulting question to you. But I'm asking it because there's a new poll in the States that has found that one in 10 millennials and Gen Zers say they have never heard of the Holocaust. One in 10 have never even heard of the Holocaust. And then within that poll, a shocking number know little about it. Yeah, but those are just those idiot Americans, right? Their schools, whatever hey, we can't get too cocky because it was only a little over a year ago that we had a poll like this and 54% of Canadian adults didn't know that more than 6 million Jews were slaughtered and 62% of millennials were in that group. Anyway, this new survey back in the States, nearly a quarter of the people who were surveyed say, get this, they believe the Holocaust was a myth, exaggerated, or they didn't know anything about it. 20% of those, and this was done state by state, 20% in New York State thought that Jews were responsible for the Holocaust. That was a number that was across the country, 11% thought that. And 56% of people couldn't identify Auschwitz-Birkenau, which is the most famous concentration, infamous concentration camp of all. I want to bring in Gustavo Reimberg, who's the CEO of the Hamilton Jewish Federation. Gustavo, thank you for doing this today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for inviting me. A pleasure. Listen, I I don't for a second expect that when you do a poll like this and you ask people for their knowledge of history, I don't expect the number to be 100%, no matter how much you would like it to be. Uh, Maybe I don't even expect the number to be 9 out of 10 that would know it but maybe three quarters at the least. I start hearing numbers like this where more than half of certain age groups don't even know anything about it. And I'm, I'm frankly, I'm stunned. Yes. I mean, yeah, no one expects uh, the high numbers, but no one expects these low numbers either. You know, I think that it's a, it's an alarming number. It's a, you know, I, I was reading this article very, um, 
deeply and i and i i realized you know that there's much much more to do you know we're doing something we're trying to educate as much as we can uh, but the author of the um, of the article is mentioning something that i think that is really really important this is our opportunity while survivors still alive and so there's a lot of work to do i i i recognize that i i know that we're doing a lot but this is a sign that we have to do more and maybe be more innovative. But I, I, I agree with you. Obviously, I agree with you. But this is a story that, you know, again, if it had no connections to North America and it was just something that was from people far, far away that we don't really have connections to, I would still expect people to know about it because of its impact on history and its importance. But we have... I mean, how many thousands of survivors ended up in North America and have gone on to tell their, t- their stories and tell their tales, and yet somehow we're still not knowing what's going on? Certainly in North America, in an area of the world that's supposed to be very well educated about our past, this should not, in my mind, this should not be happening. Again, I'm, I'm just, I'm shocked that somehow the, I think the education system, it must be, has dropped the ball so badly. Yeah, and I think that, uh, I don't know if you, if you, you know, there's something very kind of positive about this, too, that it's like 60% of the people that were surveyed, they, they believe that Holocaust education should be compulsory in schools. But it's a good sign. So I, 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 at least, you know, what I can take from this, that the majority of the people will really look to learn more. They are asking to learn more. But um, it's it, 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 it's very sad that this is happening. You know, it's uh, especially at this time. You know, uh, where Jewish people still being the number one target for uh, uh, hate uh, uh, incidents in, in Hamilton or in in, in North America, in, in in Canada. So um, I think it's 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 a very um, very sad message, you know, and it's also alarming. I, like I said at the beginning, this for us as a Jewish community, we have to make an extra effort, and we will we are doing it. I'm sure about that. But again, you know, the situation in the, in in the states is not optimum right now. I mean, there's a lot of work to do, and and you're right. I think that the survivors, you know, when they move to the to, to North America, the reality is that not all of them share their stories until they have grandkids, you know? Um, I know how much the grandkids are sharing now what they learn from their grandparents, but it's something that we have to, to work on it. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a very sad number. It's really very concerning. Gustavo, a number of years ago, two or three, maybe, I don't think it was much longer than that, there were some uh, uni- researchers from the University of Montreal who were looking around at curriculums and discovered that in Quebec, in the high school textbooks, and we're talking about Quebec, there was almost an absence of mentions of the Holocaust. And if you go from province to province, and we're coming to Canada now, not the States, but most places, it seems that there's no rule that you must learn about this. It is, it's, it's up to local school boards. Should this be something that is required somehow that this become part of the curriculum? I, I think that it's absolutely, if it, this is my personal opinion, I think that this should be mandatory, not only to learn about the Holocaust, but to, to learn about 
hate, you know, until uh, 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 anti-racism, you know, you, you have the, it's, it's what happened with the black community right now, what happened with the Jewish community, you know, that's why I think it's important to learn about the Holocaust, to avoid these kind of situations again. Uh, I think it should be mandatory, for sure. I think that there should be more, more curriculum about the Holocaust in public schools and... Uh, it's not, but it's not only, I, I really don't like to delegate the responsibility of talking about Holocaust only for the teachers of, or, or the school authorities. It's something that this conversation that should happen at home too, you know. When you talk to your kids about anti-hate, uh, racism, or, or all the incidents that they are happening in, in, in Hamilton or in Canada, you know, it's, it's important to have a conversation with your kids it's not only the teachers you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml gustavo i'm thinking to myself as i as i read these last week we were talking here on the show about 9-11 we mentioned 9-11 and how you know it seems like in 19 years we've already started to you know it starts to fade a little bit for uh, the, the the horror of that day starts to fade is there any reason to think that the numbers when we talk about holocaust and knowledge of it is not just going to continue to fade over time now it's an excellent question and i i hope not i hope not but again it's like uh, part of our job you know as a commu- as a jewish community and as a community at large you know like i was saying before I think that if we are going to leave these kind of um, learning experiences only to the schools, you know, maybe it's not going to be enough. Uh, if they don't, if they don't up- update the curriculum about Holocaust education in the schools, it's going to be a problem. But I, I think that I always say the same thing. You know, I think that we have to encourage these kind of conversations to happen at home. Uh, to demystify a little bit the conversation about the Holocaust, there is a lot of uh, literature for kids, for young adults, to learn about the Holocaust, uh, and I think that we have to promote that. You know, it's 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 not only a school. I think it's they they, they are things that we have to talk to our kids and with to our grandkids. Don't give it for granted. I mean, I mean, we 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 have to be responsible, and I hope that the numbers are not going to, you know, decrease. But I mean. Uh, there is a lot to do, and uh, in different levels. Okay, not not only the schools. But you, you, okay, let's leave out the schools for a second. I mean, one of the areas, even if even if people don't pay attention at school or the schools don't have it, and even if you don't watch the news, one thing we know: people watch TV or they go to movies or they're, they're they watch mm-hmm. other. Th- well, it's not like Hollywood has ignored the Holocaust. Exactly. Hollywood. Exactly. So somehow, even with that it's still lost. I mean, this is the part of it that I really don't get is that it, it, it's not like, I don't know how you can go through your life without being aware of it. And yet somehow you apparently are able to. Yeah. That's it's, it's that. And also it's a, um, something that we should talk about. Should, we should mention is the, the power of social media in all of this, you know, with the, the lack of controls and the lack of uh, policy about, mentioning uh, anti-Semitism or acts of anti-Semitism online and hate online, that there's not a good policy, you know? I mean, you can you can see the people from social media. They are allowing uh, all these, these comments to, to, uh, about Jewish people, Jewish community, Holocaust. I mean, 
it's it's problematic. Yeah, but you have a very good point. You know, there's uh, all these movies. I mean, all these. Uh, uh, literature. I mean, we have to maybe promote that too, you know, and, uh, and 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 invite people to participate. And maybe maybe the solution will be to make all these materials more accessible to people. Okay, so even uh, Gustavo, let's just even if we even if we say okay, we understand that people don't know about the Holocaust. We don't like it, but even if we say okay, that's the case. This poll found that 20% of young people in New York State, and New York State has, I, does New York City not have the highest Jewish population outside yeah. of Israel, I think? I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah. like you're talking about a state that has a large Jewish population. 20% yeah. of people in New York State said yeah. that they believed Jews were responsible for the Holocaust. It, it's not even that you don't even know now, you flipped history on its head. Yeah, that, that, that's for me the worst part of the article, or, or the survey. You know, for people to say that, that our own people, we are responsible of that. That's, that's terrible. That's terrible. And I think that it's, uh, it, 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 this is more than lack of education. This is like hate. You know, I, this is a perfect act of anti-Semitism, I think. Yeah, I, look, I, Gustavo, I we got it. We got to go. I wish we had a lot more time, but you know, you made a great point just before the last break, and that was, you know, when you say why is this important? Well, we're in the middle of a thing right now in history and society where we are fighting to try and get rid of hate and racism and these kind of things. This this is exactly that. If we forget about this, mm-hmm. we're going to do it again. Maybe not exactly the same, but you know, it's yeah, it's happening a different way for sure. Yeah. Gustavo Reinberg, CEO of the Hamilton Jewish Federation. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate taking a few minutes tonight. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much, folks. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, please, you know what? If you are, if you're listening right now, and somehow you're one of the people, and I don't want to mock you, uh, but if you're one of these people who doesn't really know anything about the Holocaust, if you would count yourself among that group, or if you heard Auschwitz and you really don't know what that is. You know, we've, we've had people in high positions in this community who have said they don't know what it is. Go look it up. Don't, don't just, don't just don't know anything. Go look it up. Don't be uninformed. It doesn't take a lot of work and it, it's worth doing it. It's worth doing it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the places that I go on the web often, if I'm looking for something interesting which is generally what we do on the web, right? We search for interesting stuff. We're, we're rarely cruising around going, what can I find that will bore me to death today? One of the places that I go often is a journal of musical things that's written by Alan Cross. He always drums up stuff that I find fascinating about the world of music. Alan is, uh, is one of the great music writers that we have, and uh, he joins me now. Alan, how are you tonight? I am good. I'm sitting on the porch with the dog, watching them play soccer across the street. The dogs? Uh, no, the dog is. <laughs> she's, she's a big uh, Arsenal fan, so she's pretending that the guys in blue are actually Arsenal. <laughs> um, you have written a great piece, and I, I wanted to talk about because I had never heard of a lot of these. And then I looked into a little bit more because you drew me into it. And these are conspiracy theories involving musicians. We won't do all of them because some of them are unless you're really into the music world, some of them may be a little too obscure for some people about whether or not Dave Grohl broke his leg, for example, because some people won't know who Dave Grohl is. But we've known forever that the, that conspiracy theories, I mean, I, I, the first one I really became aware of, Alan, was, and you touch on this one, 
the idea that Paul McCartney has been dead for years and years and years. How did the Paul McCartney dead theory come to be? I don't even know. This began with a student writing in a university newspaper somewhere around 1969 or so. And that spread to a couple of radio DJs. I think one was in Detroit. The other one was in Washington, D.C. And they started spreading this rumor that Paul had died in some kind of automobile accident in November of 1966. And the Beatles were giving us clues all along. So we go to the Sgt. Pepper album. We listen to the song A Day in a Life. And we hear John Lennon singing about how he blew his mind out in a car. Well, that's, that's obviously something right there. If you look at the front of the uh, Sgt. Pepper album, uh, you'll see uh, what looks like a gravesite with the Beatles looking sadly down at, at this tombstone. If you look on the inside, you'll see Paul McCartney in a Sgt. Pepper suit with a patch on his left shoulder that apparently to the, un, uh, the people outside of Ontario thought the patch said OPD, when in fact it is an OPP catch. But OPD <laughs> obviously, obviously meant officially pronounced dead. Then you have a song like I Am the Walrus. The walrus apparently is some kind of symbol of death in some cultures. And I've got a clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. So obviously that means he's dead. And so on and so on and so on. And the bare feet. The bare feet, of course. The bare feet is the one everyone knows. Yes, we have to talk about that because the uh, the crossing of the uh, the zebra crossing on the front of Abbey Road, where it looks like this is some kind of funeral procession. And Paul is barefoot while everybody else seems to be dressed as a preacher, as a grave digger, as uh, maybe a pallbearer, and Paul is out of step with the other three guys. So again, that that proves. And if you look, uh, there's a a Volkswagen Beetle that's on the left-hand side of the road, and it says the uh, license plate is 28IF, 28IF, and that apparently meant that if Paul had lived, he would be 28 years old. Oh, very clever. They got it wrong. Um, And then there's a whole bunch of photographic evidence that shows that, you know, Paul's jowls are a bit different. His ears are in a different place. Uh, The nose is not right. So obviously this is an imposter. And the thinking was this this imposter, this replacement for the dead Paul, may have come from Canada because, well, oh, if that's an OPP patch, well, that tells you everything. From someplace in Ontario, he, he was he was recruited, and everything that happened after November 1966 is fake Paul. So, and it, so there's that. Yes, I mean I saw him in concert not that long ago, three or four years ago. He sounded very much like the original Paul McCartney, the imposter did. So I'll give him that. He was very good at his job. And at one point, uh, McCartney released a, a record called "Paul Is Live." Uh, <laughs> That's uh, true. A nod toward the whole conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, another one that everybody knows, and well, let's let's just touch on the two biggest ones, probably. I think the two biggest ones, and then we'll get into some of these other ones. Um, the idea that Elvis obviously is still alive, and I don't know if he's still working at a Burger King in Kalamazoo or if he's retired from that position now, but that he had, you know, gone off, faked his death, um, and there was an air conditioned casket that they showed publicly, and then he got up and walked away and lived happily ever after in Michigan. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how that particular rumors started. I do know that they, the National Enquirer had hired somebody to look like a priest, and he had a, um, a hidden camera in his robes, and he managed to get to the, into the funeral, 
And he was the one who shot that picture of Elvis in the coffin. And that uh, ended up on the front cover of, of the National Choir. Very, very famous cover for them. Um, he looked pretty dead to me. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, is that, is that, is that an imposter? I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those, you know, he was famous. How could he be dead? And obviously had all the money in the world. He decided that he was going to check out uh, from, from his existence and, and go live in Kalamazoo for some reason. Wasn't it, was it a Burger King or was it a gas station? Well, either one. I'm sure it's been both. And, and and not that long ago, there was a YouTube video that came out that had a, it was in an airport and the person was somehow taking a selfie and the man in line behind him with a beard was Elvis. They had found Elvis because he looked just like him. And so, uh, and then there was a guy who was, what was his name? There was a, a singer who, with a weird name, like the, the it was a, a, a sign, one of the signs of the, um, th- that was the guy's name, Taurus. Taurus was the guy's name that Elvis was singing under the name Taurus because that would make all kinds of sense. Go into hiding and then start a musical career singing exactly like Elvis because that would be a great way to hide. Anyway, let me get to some of these more current ones because some of these I find, most people know those ones, Alan, but this one, David Bowie predicted the rise of Kanye West. Kanye West, such an important figure in time, that David Bowie had to spend his youth predicting the rise of Kanye West years before Kanye West was born. Explain this this conspiracy theory. This requires a little bit of reverse engineering. We have to have famous Kanye before we can actually go back and figure out how David Bowie predicted his rise. If you go to the Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars album in 1972, David Bowie is posing on Hedden Streets, just off Regent Street in in London. And he's posing next to a sign that says K West. Mm. Uh, K West was a furrier. And uh, some people believe that that K West was obviously a predictor of of Kanye West to come later. Now, there's a, a song on the album called Five Years, which says that within five years, a Someone will arrive to lead us away from doom and destruction. Well, uh, almost five years to the day after Ziggy Sardis was released, Kanye West was born. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. And, and then we hear stories about that sign again. That sign was purchased by a collector, an anonymous collector, who apparently had close ties to the music industry. Well, who else could it be other than Kanye West? Right. So uh, and then what else do we have? Oh, uh, Bowie's last album is called Black Star. And what is, of course, Kanye, but a, a black star. And what else do we have? Um, I'm sure there's a few other things, but it's pretty convoluted. There you go. Okay. There, well, so yeah, clearly that was true. Clearly he foresaw the arrival of Kanye West. And, and again, uh, Alan, maybe, maybe it's just my taste in music. If I'm David Bowie and I'm going to foretell the arrival of someone, it's probably not going to be someone like Kanye West. It'll be someone really important, but Hey, who knows? He could become president and then this whole thing will become even more real. So who, you oh, know, yeah. who knows? Um, Kurt Cobain, lead singer of Nirvana, like Elvis, like a lot of other ones, apparently still alive. How, how do we believe or who, where do we get to the theory the conspiracy theory that Kurt Cobain did not 
tragically commit suicide, as is the case, we are told, but really is living somewhere else. Yeah, he's in Peru. He's living Peru. on a different name. Yes. Uh, there's a, I can't remember his name, uh, but this guy looks a little bit like Kurt, uh, and he has been known to sing Nirvana covers on Peruvian television. Uh, the one problem there is that Kurt Cobain played his guitar left-handed. This guy is a right-handed guitar player, so we can probably just let that one go. Maybe he's taken his time away to become ambidextrous and just to throw us off the scent. Mm, that's very clever. That could be obvious. <laughs> yes, you convinced me. Yeah, clearly, if you if you faked your own death and moved to a South American outpost, the first thing you're going to do is spend your couple first years just learning how to play guitar the other handed. That, yeah, that, the, the, of the course. Problem, the problem there too is is also that uh, the ages don't match up, but that's oh. fine. Okay, this one. There are other ones we're going to talk about that are really weird. This one, though, to me, maybe the weirdest. <laughs> And the most nonsensical, because I'm not quite sure I follow why anybody would think this or put these pieces together. But Katy Perry, who just had a baby with a weird name, as I recall, I can't remember what she called it, but it was one of those strange, famous baby names. Anyway, Katy Perry is John Benet Ramsey, who really wasn't murdered, but grew up to become a pop singer. Yes, even though we found a body, even though we had a funeral, even though we've got a uh, still open police investigation into her death. Uh, and even though she was six when she died, although uh, Katie would have been in her teens when she died, but let's not just more, not worry about that. Uh, Age is just a number. Made, somebody made the connection that uh, Jomini Ramsey is actually uh, grew up to become Katy Perry. Now, <laughs> they point out that some, <laughs> you know, facial similarities, fine. But then uh, Katie, uh, you know, has quoted a couple of things, uh, a couple of she's quoted. She, she's brought up the name JonBenet Ramsey a couple of times. She's brought up the name Beauty Queen a couple of times. And uh, what was the other thing that she did? Oh, yes. They both were known for singing God Bless America. Uh, that was one of the things that little Javanet sang at her pageants and Katy Perry at a baseball game or a football game or something, once saying God bless America. So obviously, obviously they're the same person. <laughs> I mean, uh, the idea that Paul McCartney might be dead and an imposter, I mean, that's crazy, that's zany, but uh, okay, it's, I, I suppose you can wrap your head around it or Elvis or Kurt Cobain escaped where someone would come up with the John Benet Ramsey name for Katy Perry. I, that, that requires a certain amount of pharmaceuticals, I would think, but nonetheless, okay. On with, on with the show. Uh, Justin Bieber is actually a lizard person who has been caught shape shifting. Yes. Now, if you follow the, uh, <laughs> I'll believe the, the first part, I'll believe he's a lizard person. I just don't know how he shape shifted. <laughs> There is a, uh, a a line of thinking that there is a race of lizard aliens among us uh, who are in very powerful positions. Did you know that the the Windsors, Queen Elizabeth and her family, they're all lizards? Did you know that? I did not know that. But I, you know what? Maybe they just like keeping the temperature in Buckingham Palace nice and low for their. Uh, well, you know. be well. Apparently, Justin Bieber is, is is part of this race, and there is a uh, an allegation that uh, during some kind of online thing, he accidentally shapeshifted in full view of everybody. <laughs> now, I've never been able to find this, but people swear 
they swear that there is video out there somewhere of Justin Bieber shifting from probably a 16 or 17 year old into a lizard alien. Well, if it is true, boy, the X-Files has some stuff to work with, because uh, I know they've done an episode or two on that one with Mulder and Scully, but its uh, I had not heard that until now about Justin Bieber. Uh, some of his singing might explain if he had alien vocal cords, what was happening, but yes, or, or lizard vocal cords. This one, okay, the next one, I, before we get into it, this is not as bonkers as some of the other ones. I mean, its I, I don't believe for a second that it's true. But I've thought this before. It's crossed my mind before the idea Stevie Wonder is not really blind. And it crossed my mind not for any particular reason, just, huh, how do we know that Stevie Wonder, I mean, other than him telling us that he's not blind, and I believe him, I'm not suggesting he's lying to us for all these years, but there is a conspiracy theory out there that he's not blind. He can see just fine. He's just pretending. As far as I know, this uh, comes from some video footage where Stevie manages to reach out and grab a falling mic stand in front of him while performing. And the people who watch this say, well, there's no way that he could have just stuck his hand out there and grabbed it if he could not see where it was because it was moving quite uh, erratically. And at that point, uh, after that video came out, a lot of people started looking at Stevie playing live and seeing, well, and, and theorizing that, well, wait a second, a, a blind man could not do some of the things that Stevie does. Uh, that video is uh, of him grabbing the mic stand. If you just you can Google it, you'll find it. And there's a bunch of people who are, are swear now that that Stevie is is just has been faking it and milking it for you know this entire time. So okay, sure. Uh, you want to believe the question would be right? why, Alan. The question would be why. Like if you were someone who well, didn't have a lot of talent, and so you were trying to find some sort of angle to get noticed. I mean, I still don't expect you would do it, but maybe that would be an ex, but it's not like Stevie wonder is short in talent or has not been able to pump out hits. Like what would be the upside to him being blind? Uh, like faking his blindness. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, I just well, don't know where the upside would be to him to do that. I, I, uh, uh sympathy, uh, attention, but you know, he's 60 some years old. He, get pretty bored of, of, of carrying on this act if it wasn't true, right? I mean, if you've got all that kind of money and, and you're, you're, you can do whatever you want in life, wouldn't you want to, you know, buy yourself a nice Camaro and go for a ride or, you know, uh, I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. It's Yeah. Once you got to a certain point, once you got to a point of success, if, even if you had done the, even if, and again, I mean, no one's suggesting, well, some are suggesting, but not us, but even if this was some sort of way at the beginning of his career to engender sympathy and get noticed, when you've made the money that he has and you've got the success, would you not have then just gone away for six months and said, Hey, I had secret surgery and I can see now, ta-da. And, and then you can live in North. Like it just, it makes it's, it's goofy. Here's the thing about all these conspiracies. People are always looking for explanations for the random crap the, inter, the universe throws at us. There's gotta be an explanation. There's no such thing as a coincidence. There's no such thing as something just happening randomly out of the blue. There has to be, a reason behind it. And not only that, the reason has to be nefarious. Somebody must be pulling the strings. It's the Bilderbergs. It's the Rothschilds. It's the, uh, the Illuminati. Smoking man. Um, yeah. Smoking man. You know, all yeah. The smoking man, you know, uh, um, you know, it's, I mean, all we have, to, we're getting more and more conspiratorial. All you have to do is look at this 
QAnon nonsense that's out there right now. It's like, really, people? Really? There's something called Occam's Razor. And Occam was uh, a dude about a thousand years ago who basically said that the simplest explanation for anything is usually the correct one. But these yes. people don't want to believe that. They have all these convoluted connections that say, well, this could not have just happened. There had to be a reason. There had to be somebody or something behind it. Therefore, we it is up to us to look for the clues and to find the truth. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, one of these times out of a thousand of these, one of them is going to turn out to be somehow a little bit possibly true. And that person is going to just dine off of that forever. See, I solved it. I solved it. Uh, two more very quickly, by the way, just before I let you go, we won't spend a lot of time. Although this one, I said that the, the, you know, some of these, the, the John Benet Ramsey one was the the goofiest. This one's going to be a close second. Michael Jackson, like Elvis, is not dead. He escaped. He just faked his death and is now, he, I mean, this is so incredibly ridiculous. He's now living under the name Dave Dave. From what I can tell from the um, YouTube video that people are putting these pieces together, a, a guy named Dave Dave, who is he, am I, am I seeing it right, Alan, that he is a, like a severe burn victim? I, like the whole thing, I'm not entirely sure if you're Michael Jackson, why this? Uh, but if you're Dave Dave and you've, you're a severe burn victim, you can simply say, well, I had more plastic surgery that continued to go wrong. And uh, you know what? Uh, I, I'm just coming clean, you know, after all this. And I, went, I, want, to, I want to clear my name, too, because uh, when, I, when I died, died, you know, air quotes, uh, I was, uh, my, my name was being dragged through the mud. Uh, and now I've returned and I want to clear things up. I, I you know, I, Godspeed, dude. <laughs> Best of luck. <laughs> and last one, Avril Lavigne died in 2003 oh. and like Paul McCartney is now been replaced by a lookalike. Well, of all the people who would need to have a conspiracy theory, why in the world would we be worried about Avril Lavigne? This came from her fan base. Uh, they were convinced that she, she died. Uh, and I think it was a woman named, a lookalike named, was her name Melissa? I think. Uh, who replaced Yeah, Melissa, around- yes. Yeah, who replaced her somewhere around 2003. And they have this very, very uh, elaborate uh, explanation as to why this happened, how it happened, and how it continues today. Now, Avril was, up until recently, out of the public eye for a while because she had a very bad case of Lyme disease and is working through that. But uh, as for her being replaced by a fake, uh, that goes back to the Paul McCartney stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know who has the time to be wor- working on an Avril Levine conspiracy. Paul yeah, McCartney, and, and okay. Avril Levine, um, you could probably find, you know, God bless Avril, and there's taken nothing away from her. But, I mean, if you're going to pick somebody <laughs> in this kind of conspiracy, you'd probably look for somebody else. Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a great read. And there's uh, go, uh, if you're listening, go check out Alan's page, uh, a journal of musical things. And uh, you'll find this there and there are YouTube videos and there's other information and you can make your own decisions on whether or not Michael Jackson is now Dave, Dave, or whether John Bonet Ramsey became Katy Perry or whether Day, uh, David Bowie really foretold the great story of Kanye West and all the rest. There's lots of them here. Uh, Alan, listen, always love having you on. This is a, this is a terrific piece. It's, it's a lot of fun because it is really um, uh, uh, insane. 
But you know what? Insane can be entertaining at times. Well, that's it. I mean, everybody likes to. I mean, I I'm a JFK assassination buff. Uh, so whenever I'm not reading about that, I'm reading about this. Alan Cross, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. You bet. That is, uh, it, again, uh, go look up a journal of musical things and it's under musical conspiracies and it is worth your while if you just like something that is, um, you know, in a world where a lot of stuff is going on and everything is serious and everything is kind of dour and heavy, um, you know, this is the opposite of that. This is, uh, this is just goofy, but goofy fun. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.